Welcome to New Community. I'm Dawn Kopp, and I've been attending New Community along with my husband, John, since January 2018. We had two kiddos. Our daughter, Juniper, is three years old, and our son, Jasper, is one. John works at Northwestern Mutual as a financial advisor, and I'm an OBGYN physician. Prior to moving to Spokane four years ago, we spent two years living and serving in Malawi, Africa. Here in Spokane, we are passionate about welcoming and assisting refugees and eating international cuisine from Feast World Kitchen, and John is on the advisory board for World Relief. Since we started attending at New Community, we joined the largest small group and have enjoyed connecting deeper with these wonderful people. Hey Newcom, I have just two brief announcements for you this morning. First of all, we wanted to give you an update on Michelle Estelle, as we know that many of you have been praying. We are celebrating that she got out of the hospital and was moved to a rehabilitation center and is now out of rehabilitation and recovering at home. She's continuing with therapy and moving towards a full recovery with a lot of hope. So thank you for joining us to pray thus far, and you can continue to pray for Michelle and for the family as they navigate this season together. Second of all, we wanted to let you know of the next upcoming video service. We had mentioned um, following the first service that we had in September together that we'd be doing these once a month through the remainder of the year. So October 4th is the next time that we will gather to get together online. Um, that service will be at 10 a.m. and the link will be on the website and we'll also be sending out link details in the loop. So if you're not signed up for that, our email list, be sure to do that. We look forward to gathering to worship with you. New community. God loves all of you, every part, your inner light and your shadow, your heaviness and your simplicity. Every part of you is welcome. Our shadow selves reinforce our humanity and our need for Jesus, while our inner light connects us more deeply to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Allow your impuissance or weakness to be empowered and your shadow to be brought into God's light. And may we prepare to open our hearts and receive God's instruction. In the name of our all-loving God, amen. Jesus, you have beckoned us to follow. You have spoken over us the command to go and make disciples. We are to be teaching, sharing, loving. We are to be your church. And yet we have forgotten your calling and moved into complacency. We have abdicated our responsibility, sought to get rather than give, and believe rather than become. We pursue comfort rather than pursuing your kingdom come and your will be done. Forgive us for becoming consumers and spectators rather than contributors. Call us once again to participate and follow. Remind us that we are your chosen people, holy and dearly loved. We pray this in the name of the Sending Father, of the Sent Son, and of the Ever-Present Spirit. Amen. We invite you to hear from the reading of Luke 6, 20-26. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. 
Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed, blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what our ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. Hello, new community. Welcome to our Sunday morning podcast. We are so glad you are here with us. And today I have the distinct pleasure of bringing our teaching this morning with one of my favorite humans on the face of the earth, the little brother I never had, Kevin Longmire. Man, and uh, it is a true joy to be, um, to have the ability to speak with the significantly older sister um, <laughs> that would have been great to have. But I have two wonderful older sisters as well already. So Julie, I don't actually really need you uh, as an older sister because I have that covered. I am the older sister but that's you... 364 days older than you. Yep. Yeah. You don't exactly. have one of those. No, I don't. Uh, new community, we are uh, super glad to be here. So uh, we are continuing through. Our, our Minor Prophets series, and today we get to jump into the book of Obadiah. So uh, if you have opened your Bible, it is very easy to actually miss the book of Obadiah because it is the shortest book in the Old Testament, one single chapter, 21 verses in all of its glory. Um, so honestly, not a ton of content to uh, discuss, and rather than uh, going back through kind of verse by verse what's happening, um, we want you to go ahead and pause right now, pause us, what you're listening to, and watch the video that I believe we sent out on Wednesday, right? Um, Wednesday, yep. Uh, the Bible Project videos that we've been sending out. If you have not already watched that, give that a watch. Those things are incredibly well done, super informative, and kind of set the context for everything that we're going to jump into uh, this morning. And if you have short. watched the video... And they're short, yeah, uh, super accessible. Uh, and honestly, I watched uh, I watched one of them, the Joel one, with my kids, and they thought it was awesome. So um, really accessible for kind of every level, every age. Um, so pause us, watch the video, then uh, come on back, and we're going to jump in. So the first half of the book is a prophetic word to Yahweh, uh, or of Yahweh to Edom, that God's judgment will come upon the Edomites, for not only standing idle during the fall of Jerusalem, but in fact taking advantage of their weakness during this time. This is all stuff that we see in the video. Now, given the historical context of the book, the first 14 verses of the 21 total verses is really God speaking into an age-old family drama. It started with Jacob and Esau in Genesis 25, and then this becomes the ongoing and unfolding situation. And in many ways, this relationship, Jacob and Esau, uh, that we see, it frames much of the story of Israel throughout the Old Testament and actually frames much of uh, kind of the story and in, in, uh, in history of the people of Israel even today. Uh, and at its center, the center of this story and then the center that Obadiah is speaking to is the idea of pride. In verse 3, which is kind of this really like critical verse in the 21 verses, 
uh, Obadiah speaking uh, through the word of the Lord to Edom says this, the pride of your heart has deceived you. What he's getting at is this idea that pride has poisoned the Edomites and that they now stand in judgment because of how they have dealt with the Hebrew people. And this is, uh, this is what the prophecy is all about. Then verse 15 is where this message steps out into, uh, kind of steps us into the historical context and becomes a prophetic message for all of us. Verse 15 says this, For the day of the Lord is near upon all nations, as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. So rather than just speaking specifically to the Edomites, he is now saying this is the same issue, the same thing is going on with all nations. And so it brings it out of this like real kind of small historical context and places it on that this is an issue that we are all dealing with. The idea here is that pride leads to the imminent destruction of the Edomites is really just an example for us all. And this is where, as we read through the minor prophets, we've seen this time and time and again, we'll continue to see it as we study through them, that these are spoken to a specific person, a specific place, a specific time, but they are in a lot of ways examples for us in our current age, in our current day. Because the uh, day of the Lord is coming, uh, and that is for all nations and for all people, and pride is at the heart of what we need to deal with. So this prophetic word that Obadiah speaks is as true for us today as it was for them back then. So this is the reason why we think this is an incredibly important subject to kind of key our message in on this morning, uh, to speak to, to expose what is widely thought as kind of the foundation of most of the sin in our lives that we deal with. It's really a, a kind of a universal human experience and issue. Gilbert, Gilbert Keith Chesterton, or known as uh, G.K. Chesterton, says this, If I had only one sermon to preach, it would be the sermon against pride. Again, bringing kind of light to this idea that this really is a foundational issue uh, that the church, that we, need to discuss and be really open and honest with. Which I think pride is one of those things that it's a word that we throw out all the time and we assume that we know what it is. And I think we all really do deep down, but let's give you a little definition of what pride is. Um, so the definition of pride is a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements, the achievements of those with whom one is closely associated or from qualities or possessions that are widely admired. And the seven deadly sins talk about pride as vain glory. The definition of vainglory is in, in, inordinate pride in oneself or one's achievements, excessive vanity. And in the context of verse 3 in Obadiah, the author talks about the idea of pride as the Hebrew word zadon, which has the connotation of boiling over with excess. A pride that boils over is one that changes relationships and actions. I just think that's a really great word picture of boiling over with excess and this idea that pride like bubbles over and yeah. because of that bubbling over changes relationships and actions. Yeah. And uh, I just that like that word picture of boiling over once something is boiling, um, it's you can't keep it on the heat. There's no way to stop it. Right. right. It's just like it's on its own. And so the only way to make change is to make significant change and remove whatever that is hmm. from the, the heat source. So it, it, again, this is like this really cool word picture 
with that meaning. Yeah. And even think about, uh, as you were talking about that, I was picturing the many pots that have boiled over in our house and it is like yeah. this part that's like almost in control and then it's just out of control yeah. pretty quickly. Like it happens like totally. that. Yeah. Which happens with pride. Um, which is probably why the Bible clearly warns us of the destructive nature of pride and how it really hurts people and it hurts us. Um, I mean, if you look all throughout the Bible, all through the Old Testament, if you just even open up Proverbs, there seems to be warnings about pride in every chapter. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And just take a minute, open up Proverbs and glance through it and you will see hmm. warning after warning about pride. And then it is a common theme throughout the New Testament as well. It says in Romans 12, 1 through 3, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you, may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Uh, so Julie, three years ago, um, I, I actually think three years, I'm not a hundred percent positive on that, but, um, we went through the seven deadly sins and that's why you referred to this idea of vainglory. Well, I think it was in the fall we taught through, uh, all seven of those. And I actually taught on pride or vainglory during that. And this was one of the verses that I used, uh, during that message, this idea mm -hmm. that we are not to think more highly than we ought to think, uh, but to have this, um, kind of consistent, sober judgment of ourselves. Um, the analogy or, or kind of the uh, framing of the message that I used um, through uh, that study uh, a couple of years ago on vainglory was this idea of seeing um, and seeing as it relates to pride and that that's kind of maybe a good way to, to begin to think through where is pride in our lives. And um, if you imagine yourself with all of the different things that you can see over the course uh, of your day, your week, your month, if all you're ever seeing is yourself, if all you're ever uh, recognizing uh, or all your vision is ever focused on is yourself, then you might have an issue with Zidane. Again, mm. this Hebrew idea of the boiling over uh, of excess. Your sense of self-importance is boiling over. And like you uh, alluded to, it can go kind of undetected for a long, long time. And then like that, you know, in the, in the matter of in a situation, an instant, it's just boiling over. And at that point, it's very, very hard to regain control, uh, to, uh, to kind of get um, your sight back on what is important and where our eyes should be fixated uh, on Christ. So the question I think that we need to ask ourselves is, um, so if, if we say pride is uh, kind of a fundamental uh, experience of humans, of human nature, uh, and that this is something that we're all dealing with, then how does it really manifest itself in our lives? Where do we see it? Uh, how can we begin to recognize this? And uh, here are a couple of ways. And these are incredibly obvious, but I think they do need to be said. Mm. Um, one is seeing people as less than you. Easily done. Easily done. 
right? Uh, as you work through your day, as you work through uh, your life, that there are categories and hierarchies that we just make in our mind. And maybe those things are never spoken, maybe they're never vocalized, um, but I do think that many of us have this script in our mind of, uh, I am somewhere here and there is any number of people that are below me in importance uh, based on socioeconomic status, based on experience, based on whatever. Um, and that's a, that can be a, uh, a very easily done thing. Um, and again, maybe not even recognized until it begins to boil over in some really unhealthy ways. Uh, another incredibly obvious one is um, actually having people as enemies, choosing individuals that you have demonized in your mind for whatever reason. Now, I, I think it's important to pause and say that there are certainly situations and circumstances where people are deeply hurt by others, where they are wounded by others, where um, maybe distance is appropriate. Maybe um, there are some healthy boundaries that need to be put in. But the scripture seems pretty clear that we are not to have enemies and that uh, as Christian people, um, as faithful followers of Jesus, uh, this idea of enemy maybe isn't even something that we should have or that should register in our minds. But that is uh, another place where I think we begin to see pride manifest itself because uh, in creating an enemy in your mind, again, whether vocalized or not, you, uh, you create a chasm, you create a difference between you and this other person, that you are right, that you stand on the right side of whatever the, th the thing is, and that this person is wrong, and then there becomes this, uh, this difference between those two individuals, and, uh, and it really is kind of the source of pride that begins to create those chasms uh, and, and create that. Yeah, yeah Kevin, I, I like that distinction because I think oftentimes when we think of enemies, it's like this big, drastic this person is against me in all things and they're on one side and I'm on the other, but enemies can be more of a, a smaller thing, just like you said, of you're here and this other person's here. Um, yeah. And the chasm in between you creates them yeah. as an enemy. So I would say, yeah. look at enemies as not just our enemies um, in a violent way. Or <laughs> yeah, or yeah like totally. Big, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kevin, those are just two things. I'm going to, let me, interrupt you in a way and ask you, have, have you struggled with pride? Are there areas in your life, um, that you have recognized as areas that you maybe are consistently prideful in or, um, yeah. What ways have you struggled with it? Yeah. Um, uh, I think so. I mean, I, I think, um, so the two that I listed are, were easy for me to list and easy for me to come up with because, um, I think they're recognizable and um, tangibly you can begin to, uh, at least I, in my experience, I can begin to dismantle some of that stuff. So even like the move to Third and Howard has been an incredible uh, kind of awakening in my spirit of now being uh, more entrenched and uh, on a, you know, a more week to week, day by day basis with, um, uh, a lower socioeconomic population that um, we, I, I, because I'm now surrounded, because I'm now there, <clears throat> I don't see a difference as much because I've just exposed, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I'm interacting with individuals. Uh, I'm actually uh, beginning to be in a situation where some of those walls that I've dismantled of, uh, oh, I'm here and all of these people are below me in some sort of status or hierarchy, 
those things have kind of slowly eroded. And so that's been a, a way um, that, that has been uh, healthy for me to work through with the enemies piece. It's kind of the same thing to actually recognize that, to recognize, oh, who, who have I created as an enemy and how do I begin to dismantle that stuff has been work that I've really tried to do. For me though, uh, I think um, I, I see pride really manifest itself in my life um, as, and I don't know a better way to say this, um, other than people easily become just props in my life. Uh, if you imagine kind of like a one-man play unfolding, and then there's all these props and things that are happening, um, those things are only important to me as long as they help to push my story forward and, <laughs> and push my agenda forward. And it's not that I see these people as less than. It's not as that I see these people as enemies. It might just be that I don't even see the people, mm. right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I am so, I'm so like uh, inward focused, so driven, so mm. uh, concerned, worried about achieving the things that I want to achieve that oftentimes I can float through a day and not even recognize those individuals around me uh, and their needs, their uh, worth, all of that kind of stuff. I'm reminded as I've kind of been um, thinking about this, re reminded of a, a story, and I've, I've shared this before, um, but it, it's many years ago. Um, uh, I was, uh, so I was a young life leader. I was very connected with a group of high school students uh, in, uh, when I was in Northern Idaho as a young life leader. And my wife and I moved to Spokane to take the job at New Community. We've been living in Spokane for a number of years, probably four or five years. We were, uh, had great friends from out of town over. We were uh, at the grocery store and we're getting uh, food for dinner. We were going to you know, make this big dinner and dessert together that night. And so we're shopping around and we're having a great time. And I get this random phone call from one of my Young Life kids out of the blue. Had not spoken to him in four years. No idea what he's doing, where he's at. And, uh, and he calls me and he begins to, uh, clearly there's some emotionality mm -hmm. in his voice. Something is not right. And he kind of starts to go into this story and I'm in a conversation with my friend. And I actually remember very clearly we're standing in the ice cream aisle. We're picking out what kind of ice cream we want for the evening. Um, and I'm kind of doing that thing where you listen, right? You, you're, but you're not really present at all. Uh -huh, you know, so mm -hmm. doing the active listening thing because I'm trained to know how to do that. And, <clears throat> and eventually it just comes to the point where I say, um, this, this guy's name is Josh. I say, Josh, I just don't have the time right now to talk to you, but uh, let's, let's get on the phone call early tomorrow. I've got friends in town. I'm available tomorrow morning. We'll call. I'd love to, uh, I'll even come to Coeur d'Alene. We'll, we'll get coffee or whatever. I've got ice cream to pick and, out. Yeah. I've got, <laughs> I have very important things to do right now, Josh. Uh, and, and he, there's this like kind of pregnant pause, long silence. Mm -hmm. And he just stops and he says, Kevin, I don't care what you're doing. I actually need you right now. So I need you to listen to me. And it was this like wake up call in that moment to say, man, uh, like you already pointed out, the thing I'm doing right now, choosing the best type of ice cream is the most insignificant thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and this friend that I have in from out of town, um, although significant and I want to be present, clearly there is a need that I have just not recognized uh, because this person was a prop in my one man play right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I feel like I have stories like that that continue to come up where people have to kind of knock 
the sense into me and say, I actually need you right now. You can't just keep uh, moving in the same forward fashion because you want to do all the things you want to do. I need you to stop and recognize me as a person that has needs uh, and maybe has um, needs help in this moment. Hmm. Did you stop and listen? <clears throat> I did. Yeah. I, uh, thankfully, uh, I was kind of in a moment, like I said, it was like that, um, you know, wake up call to say, uh, I need to just put this on pause. And I walked out of the store and was able to talk for 15 or 20 minutes and kind of get him to a place of stability, get him to a place where he had some, some movement forward. And then we were able to connect either that day or the next day, I can't remember, but then we, we got coffee and able to kind of more fully talk through the details, but it, but it was a, um, a, uh, one of those kind of watershed transformative moments for me that I, I think of, hmm. uh, think of often. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think it's easy to be like, wow, man, Kevin, what a jerk. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a bummer. You struggle with that. I don't really struggle with yeah. anything that bad or yeah. not that mean to people. But the reality is, is we, I mean, it very clearly has said we all struggle with pride and it is part of yeah. humanity. And, um, I have found in my own life, I was thinking back to this and there's lots of ways that I can look back and, um, like constant themes throughout my life of areas that I've struggled with pride. But I was, as we were prepping this talk, I was thinking about that quote, I believe it's by St. Augustine. Um, and he says, pride will always be the longest distance between two people. And that is really impactful. And I think what happens and what I've noticed most in my own life is, uh, pride is often the source of breaks in relationships with me and someone else, um, or struggles in relationships. And I was reminded about, Maybe a couple of years ago, uh, I was talking with somebody that I deeply love, one of my family members, and we have a great relationship, uh, usually really great about listening to each other and accepting each other's perspectives that may be different. And we got in this conversation around a political thing, and that's it's not a common thing in our family to get worked up with each other about politics. Um, we've It's been fortunate for that. But this moment, we had a difference of opinion. <clears throat> And we were talking about something and I would say, and this person would say too, we've talked about it since, but that we both had a high amount of pride in that conversation. And the conversation mm. was not about trying to hear each other's perspective or learn from one another. The conversation yeah. was me delivering. I know on my part, it was me trying to deliver my information to this person yeah. and for yeah. them to learn from me because I obviously had the right answer in it. <laughs> um, and it did get heated and it was, uh, we weren't even saying anything productive <laughs> at that point. It was just kind of talking over each other for a chunk of time. And it created this little chasm in our relationship that had never been there before. And it took a while and, um, we healed it and we moved forward and we've talked about it and it's really great, but it, it wasn't great. <laughs> like it, and yeah. it was, pride was the root of it. It's not that one of us had the right answer and the other had the wrong answer, but it was simply that our own pride got in the way and therefore created a divide in our relationship, which is part of the reason yeah. again, why I think the Bible warns of it so much is because if we are to love God and love others, pride creates a huge distance between us and God or us and each other or both. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
And the reality is we, in that situation, we could have been kind and listened better to each other, but the better position would have simply been to approach each other with humility and understand that the other had something to offer to the conversation and that we each had something to learn from each other. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so interestingly, you'd, you'd kind of make this distinction between kindness and humility. Um, I think you, you hear these stories and it could be easy to conclude that the way to break out of some of these cycles uh, is just to be kind, right? To be thoughtful, to rather than see yourself, just see others uh, and, and kind of have this posture of kindness in uh, who you are and what we do. This is stuff that we speak to our kids all the time. Uh, well, at least I speak to my kids all the time. I won't say that for everybody, but I, I think most parents find themselves talking about how are you kind to your brother, your sister, your friends, your family? I thought you were about to and, say that you speak about it to your kids, but clearly, Julie, you don't speak to them. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. I would never. That's for another podcast, Julie, <laughs> cool. a parenting podcast. Uh, <clears throat> no, um, but then that like in seeing others in our kindness, we become conscious of others' needs uh, and, and more aware of what's going around us. And kindness is a good thing, mm -hmm. right? I, I think we are called to be kind. We should be kind. We should strive in all that we do to be kind, to be thoughtful. Um, and in a lot of ways, I think genuine kindness is kind of a, a lost art in our culture. But scripture, but we are called to more than that. And this is where I think... Um, the like the crux of this message has to be heard because kindness is not the full an, uh, is not the full answer when you're talking about pride kindness is a change of action it changes our behavior mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily a change of heart it doesn't actually change who we are internally and i don't think that god ever just in, uh, was interested in behavior modification mm -hmm. in us changing um, our actions it's incredibly clear through scripture that God is always most concerned about the change of heart, about the change of who we are on the inside. And as Christians, we are called to humility. And humility is a, uh, it's a step above kindness in a lot of ways. Andrew Murray says this, humility, the place of entire dependence on God is the first duty and the highest virtue of the creature and the root of every virtue. And so pride, or the loss of this humility, is the root of every sin and evil. Humility truly is about our posture before God, and it allows us to see people, not just see people, but see them through the eyes mm. of Jesus. And that is a very different view, or a very different focus, a very different gaze on individuals in and around your life. Because you can see somebody, but to see somebody through the eyes of Christ is categorically a different thing. As another um, child of God. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so Philippians 2, 3, uh, 3 through 8, this is kind of, you know, one of the most foundational uh, scriptures about this idea of humility says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Exactly what you just said, Julie. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." 
I mean, this is the call for all of us, right? This type of humility to, um, to align our lives with Christ in a way that we are humble in this very same way is the call for all of us. Uh, Paul gives us this very clear indication of how a life of humility changes our posture, not only towards God, but then will in fact change our relationships with others. Uh, and so that's where this distinction I think is really important to talk about because kindness is a change of actions, but humility is a fundamental change of our hearts. And that's, um, that's what we wanna speak to. That is really the call for all of us as we follow Jesus. Dallas Willard um, says this, a vision of God secures humility. Seeing God for who he is enables us to see ourselves for what we are. This makes us bold, for we see clearly what good and evil are at issue. And we see that it is not up to us to accomplish it, but up to God, who is more than able. We are delivered from pretending, from being presumptuous about ourselves, and from pushing as if the outcome depends on us. We persist without frustration. We can practice calm and joyful noncompliance with evil of every kind. Willard paints this picture of a person who is truly humble and who has uh, mirrored the life of Christ in, uh, in kind of emptying themselves and uh, having full dependence on God and being humble in that way. Hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I really believe the call for all followers of Jesus is one towards humility. And I think in my own life, I just see a lot of times that it's humility with others specifically um, and seeing the humanity in others. And I recently took on another position with a local, a new charter school in Spokane called Lumen, and it is a school for pregnant and parenting teens. Um, I'm still doing my role at New Community as well. This is not my exit. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's this really... It's, it's a really beautiful school and it's really neat. But part of the time we were just doing this training, um, we were talking about Kent Hoffman. I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard of Kent Hoffman and he is, he does a circle of security. Um, but he was, uh, we watched this Ted talk, um, and he was talking about this idea of infinite worth. And also Julie, I'll, I'll pause because I think this maybe is a distinction that we don't typically say, but, um, he is practicing from a, Christian perspective, right? I mean, he, he's theologically trained and that's, that's a difference because when you talk about humility, isn't that a, yes, I believe so. I don't, I totally, I don't fully know his background. Although this, what I'm about okay. to share, um, he was in a class <laughs> taking from a professor of clinical psychology at a, at school of theology at Claremont. So he does have some okay. theology background. Sure. sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yes, so there is like this perspective from him and it was just this really, beautiful moment. And I'll share, I found this little excerpt, uh, from actually from the spokesman review when they were interviewing him. And this little section says this, it says the most important thing I learned in all my clinical training was from my first clinical professor, Frank Kemper, who said, every person you meet has one thing in common. They have mm -hmm. infinite worth. The moment he used that phrase, I had never heard it before. I was 21 years old and my life shifted in a way that it never shifted back from. Every person you meet has infinite worth. They have that in common. There is no one worth more or less. Kindness is seeing and responding to the infinite worth 
in another, one another. It's yeah. recognizing that this person has needs and is probably carrying a battle I may not know about, but maybe I'm seeing a hint of it in a struggle they're having and my willingness and great gratitude in being able to respond to that in some way that will be helpful. Yeah. So this idea of infinite worth is such a beautiful, I mean, it's really another way of saying another child of God and kind of what you were talking about of seeing yeah. the other through the eyes of Christ. And when Christ sees us, he sees the inter- infinite worth in each of us. And I love that part that no, there is no one worth more or less. No one. Hmm. And when Kent Hoffman talks about this, he shares that of all of his training of everything that he did, this is what that one sentence is what changed him more than any of the other training he's gone through. Yeah. And this stood out to me because that's humility. Humility is recognizing that everyone has infinite worth. And then the action that flows out of that is kindness. And so it, again, it starts with the heart and then moves to the action. It spurs on action. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this idea of infinite worth, um, maybe it's easily understood when you think about looking at family members, looking at a great friend, looking at your kids. Uh, I think we as people can recognize the infinite worth of those that we truly love. The idea of recognizing the infinite worth of somebody you don't know, or uh, somebody that is an enemy, or somebody that is just a prop in your life, that, that is like a, a shift in the heart. And um, I would guess that if we as people begin to hold that as true and begin to recognize people in that way, the pace of our lives would significantly slow, mm. which maybe is not a bad thing in that um, we would be willing and able to take more time with individuals uh, and our lives would be more open to the interruption, which we've talked a number of times about. Um, and, and again, in many ways, we would uh, kind of follow in the model of Jesus where um, although he was certainly on the move, there always seemed to be time for him to recognize the infinite worth of another human being when he interacts uh, and to take the time uh, to sit and listen uh, and to be present with those individuals. And that is that is a art and that is a practice um, that I, I think we all need to hear. Yeah, and I like that idea of practice because even as you were just sharing, in the midst of that conversation that I was sharing about earlier, had I stopped myself and saw the infinite worth in yeah. the other, it would have completely changed my posture. Totally, yeah. <laughs> because I would have seen that person as a child of God and as as somebody that has something that I can learn from and somebody yeah. who has infinite worth, yeah. it definitely softens the spirit. Um, and I think this kind of leads us to, if you, uh, I think this, this kind of leads to a point of reflection of this is great to talk about. Um, but what does it all mean and what do we do with it? And I think, yeah, as I was reflecting on this in my own life, if we are asking the question of, am I prideful? Do I have issues with pride? Do I struggle? We're asking the wrong question because clearly, Obadiah, in this book, it is already talked about, yes, you do. All of humanity yeah. is prideful and it will lead to destruction. Um, the yep. scripture seems to be pretty clear on that and it points it, out, points it out over and over throughout the Old and New Testament. So my questions have turned to, 
what relationships in my own life have been affected or broken because of my pride? What areas yeah. do I need to revisit? Who do I need to heal things with or mend things with? And moving forward, how can I stop some of that destruction by recognizing my own pride in the relationship and um, recognizing the infinite worth in the other? Yeah. In classic minor prophet fashion, Obadiah uh, kind of leaves us with a very similar vision to what we have already talked about uh, in previous talks, uh, this vision of the kingdom of God coming in its fullness mm-hmm. in the day of the Lord, uh, as he says, reminding us that, uh, yes, in fact, our God will deliver, that um, while we are in anticipation for that day, um, I think our call is this continual examination of where our eyes are focused or this idea of pride or vainglory in our lives. Uh, and that if we are unwilling to examine, if we are unwilling to, um, to actually call that out, if we are unwilling to recognize those things, we may in fact miss the day of the Lord. <laughs> we may miss the coming kingdom because we will be so focused on ourselves, uh, so inward looking that we will forget to see it when it's coming. Uh, and, and Obadiah again points us uh, towards this reality of remember the kingdom will come. And right now is our chance to begin to examine this pride and its destructive nature, destructive forces in your life. And so uh, Obadiah leaves us in those final few verses of uh, kind of pointing us to rid ourselves of pride that so easily entangles and then reminds us that God will make good on his promises, that God is faithful, that the kingdom of God will be established and uh, the faithful will, uh, will reign with him. Mm. That is pretty beautiful. Um, and as we close, I like this idea of examination and I think Again, like we were, I was just saying, it's one thing to talk about it, but it's another thing to actually do something about it because it's now we know pride is in all of our lives. <laughs> so yep. we can either do something about that and address it, or we can just kind of say, oh, that was great. Let's move on with the rest of our week. But um, I, yep. as a community, one of the things that I love about new community is that we are a community that believes in change and continuous learning and um I do think that we have a very beautifully humble community. And I think that if we can continue to lean into that more and more, I think we will see more and more of the kingdom here and now. And so one of the things that Kevin and I have talked about um, is kind of, we kind of came up with Russ and Kevin and I, this list of things, kind of like a personal inventory of, um, a personal inventory guide giving a couple tools that will help you recognize pride in your own life. Um, and so it's on the Sunday gathering page. If you go there, it is somewhere. I'm not totally sure where it is yet, but it is on that Sunday gathering page. If you look at it, just kind of glance through it, read it. Um, it'll, it, it will say things like if you find yourself complaining and murmuring about people, um, if you crave recognition and notoriety, things like that, that are just little, uh, little ways to recognize that, oh, this might be rooted in pride. Um, yeah. Um, I would encourage you all to look at that, examine it in your own life, talk about it with others, talk about it with your small group, elaborate on each of those and add to that list of like, how do you see pride coming up in your own lives? Yeah. And then 
what we would love is for four things to happen with that. The first would be to recognize these things and repent. Recognize where pride stirs up in your own life. Um, and recently we just talked about uh, repentance and Joel and talked about how repentance is the acknowledgement of something and then the act of turning away from it. So in this case, yeah. acknowledge the pride in your life, repent and turn away from it. Yeah. And, and maybe if we go back to this idea of Zidane uh, before it starts boiling mm. over, this is, this can be a tool. This can be a guide to say, Hey, here are little things that um, are easy just to pass off. But maybe if we begin to recognize these things, call them out, repent of them, we will be able to um, step away, move forward, turn around yes. uh, and, and walk in a, uh, in a more faithful way before this stuff starts boiling over and becomes out of control. Right. Yeah. And I think out of control in like a overarching way, but then also like, again, going back to that example of that conversation I had, had I recognized, Oh, I'm talking over someone. Why? Yeah. <laughs> like that's yeah. probably a source of pride right now. Let me stop this before yep. this boils over and turns into something totally. and breaks a relationship. Yeah. Um, and then I think from that examine your relationships, both with God and with others, uh, See in your life if there are relationships that need to be mended because of your pride. And then I would say, don't stop there. Don't just recognize that, hmm. oh, there's a relationship that should be mended, but actually yeah. mend it. Apologize. Again, go to that person, admit where you were wrong, admit the pride and apologize and move forward together. Recognize the infinite yeah. worth in the other and move forward with that person in a yeah. healed and beautiful relationship. Yep. Um, and then the third thing would be to maybe as you go through this list, just write down a few that stick out to you. And as you look at this or, or add to it, if there's other things that automatically have popped up in your life, write those down and just recognize where they pop up in your life throughout the week, whether it's in conversations with friends or at work or in your family or kids. I mean, Obadiah is really about this big family squabble, right? <laughs> I, yeah. there are a lot of this will come up in family situations and yeah, I would just encourage you to recognize this throughout the week. And then the fourth thing is, this is where the community comes in. Tell somebody about it, pray about it, ask them to check in with you and be active because a change of heart, um, a humble heart spurs on action. So do this with others. This is not something that you need to do by yourself, but even just as Kevin was sharing his struggles and maybe areas that he has struggled in the past. And I was sharing with him. It is encouraging to me, not because, Oh, he's made mistakes too, but because we can support each other through this and say, yeah. I can go to Kevin and say, Hey, uh, so I struggle with this part. Call me out on it. I want to know when you see yeah. that. And, um, because I know it's hurtful and it's harmful for others. So, yeah. Well, and maybe uh, the most prideful thing is not to share this stuff, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to keep it to yourself because you're worried of being found out. And that's, that's again, another one of those little ways that it's just like, well, I won't tell people, but I'm going to, I'm committed to working <laughs> yeah. on it. That's probably coming from a place of pride oh, that you don't want to be found out. And so um, we need to find ways that we can slowly begin to break these walls down. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, Julie, with that being said, uh, anything else uh, that you would add to this? No, I don't think so. I mean, there's a lot more to talk about, but I sure. think that this, um, 
this has been a really great process for me too to recognize things yeah. in my own life, I guess. So yes, I am adding to this. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> um, I I would really encourage everyone in our community to just really dive into this a bit and to, like you said, ad- admit it and uh, recognize it and. And then you don't have to stay stuck in it, move forward, move beyond it and move beyond it with others. Yeah. So, uh, new community, we encourage you, uh, to be faithful in that way, to repent, to turn, uh, to recognize, uh, these areas in your life, uh, to invite others into the process, uh, and to chase after humility in the ways that we read about, uh, in that Philippians verse, uh, may Christ be, the model that you set your life after. So uh, we love you, Newcom, and we hope that you have a great week. See you soon. New community. This week and beyond, may we be open to the idea that our truest identity is the beloved. To understand that God welcomes the parts of us that we despise and greets us as one created in God's image. Let us live as God's chosen people who are dearly loved. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.